And as we're focused on the provision of God, we're going to pass the baskets to um, receive our tithes and offerings this morning. Many of you give with the app and online, and we want to thank you for that. And uh, Father, we are trusting you for everything we need. As we return our tithes, that first 10% to you, we're saying that everything we have is yours, <laughs> and everything we need comes from you. And you will provide everything we need. So we're trusting you this morning, Father. We're receiving from you and we're returning to you what is yours. Thank you for the treasure you give that enables us to know where our hearts are. As we put our treasure in the storehouse, we know that our hearts are yours. Hallelujah. We're going to spend just a, a few minutes together digging into strong foundations. Those of you who get the email, I put this out ahead of time. Uh, that would be our focus this morning. This is remarkably high. Let me see if I can put it down a bit. That's better. We've been saying those three words regularly together, haven't we? That we want to see each one of us be connected, healthy, and fruitful. That's not just a theme for a series. That's actually the reason why we gather. <laughs> that's why we're here. That's what God has called us to, that we'd be connected, healthy, and fruitful. Of course, that's using the analogy of the vine that needs to have strong roots if it's to be fruitful. We need to be connected into the vine of our Lord Jesus. Or another analogy that the scripture uses is a building with Jesus as the cornerstone. And we want to have strong foundations. So strong foundations, strong roots uh, are both used in, in scripture to represent you and I being healthy and strong in our relationship with, with God. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. And actually, let me say right at the beginning here, there's going to be a lot of scripture this morning, so you may want to grab a, a piece of paper and a pen just to jot down the references uh, as we go through. If you've got a, a physical Bible with you, uh, you will want to pull it out and have it ready. Uh, if you're using your Bible on your phone, I may go too fast for you, in which case I apologize, but you can listen to the recording afterwards and fill in the gaps. 1 Corinthians 3 Paul says in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. There's the roots and the foundations all in one verse, isn't it? And he says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it, and let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So everything is built on one foundation, Jesus Christ. That's the foundation that we want to build on. That's why we've been worshipping together. In fact, Jesus himself talks about uh, that foundation in, in uh, Matthew 7. Let me pull that one up. Actually, I put it in my notes so I wouldn't have to keep turning pages. Matthew 7, verse 24. 
this is Jesus teaching his disciples <laughs> or his followers uh, in the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says in uh, chapter 7, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It's a very apt illustration for us here in the hurricane belt. Rock to build your house on is in short supply here in the low country, right? Which means that when the rains come and the winds blow, very often what we've trusted in gets flattened. That doesn't mean we shouldn't live here. Okay, it's a metaphor. But if your physical house is going to get flattened, you better be sure your spiritual house is built on a rock. And Jesus says the rock is not just our relationship with him, but the words that he speaks to us. There's something about all of the red letters in here that carry great power and great strength. And we do well to be sure that our foundation is strong. We mustn't drift away from the words of Jesus or even turn away from the words of Jesus because these words are how God is building us into a place that he inhabits. When we read these words, it's how God builds us together into that building we talked about as we were looking at Nehemiah back in the beginning of the summer. He wants to build a safe place for people to gather into to meet God and to recommit themselves to God. And that's our purpose together. So Peter, in 1 Peter 2, says, As you come to him, this is verse 4 of 1 Peter 2, for those of you making notes of the references to look them up later. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Who is that? Who's the living stone? Jesus, yeah. So we're coming to the living stone, Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. In other words, you're little Jesuses. That's why you're called a Christian. Christ, Ian. Little Christs. We are living stones to the degree that we are built on the living stone. Dr. Livingstone, I presume. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
beginning to catch how important this book is in our lives and in our relationships. There's a foundation stone inside these pages. There's not a physical foundation stone, because then your Bible would have a big lump in it, wouldn't it? But it's a spiritual foundation stone. That's why it's important that we... Every time I think about the scriptures, I go back to the, the, the senior pastor when I first trained for ministry, Roger Forster. He said, we need inscripturated craniums. We need inscripturated craniums. He invented that phrase to mean that what's in here needs to be what's in here. In other words, I need to build my life on the instructions and the wisdom and the revelation that Jesus brings through this book. Because God gave the word, didn't he? John chapter 1. The very beginning of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now this is the word of God, and he is the word of God. It's both and. (laughs) Jesus and the Bible together are the word of God. The Greek word is logos. And what it stands for, what it means is the revelation of God that's declared and made visible or made audible, that's written or made tangible. In other words, if you want to meet Jesus, you can open this book, and he's right here. We don't read the Bible because Jesus said we should. We don't read the Bible because we want to be more spiritual than the other person sitting at the table with me. We read the Bible because Jesus is in here, the Word alive, who wants to have relationship with us. If you want to hear God speak, open his word. You say to me, well, I'd like to hear him audibly. Well, read it out loud then. (laughs) Thank you. I wish it was mine, but I borrowed it. The scripture is central to our health and strength as believers. Because we have an ungodly world around us that, that either diminishes or opposes what God has said in here. And what God is doing in you and me. There was plenty of that going on in the New Testament. Paul writes to Timothy. There's a lot in, in his letters to Timothy that we can learn from. Second Timothy 3 verse 12, Paul says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's good news, isn't it? Who here desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I'll give the rest of you a moment to catch up. Yeah, okay. I mean, you wouldn't have bothered coming if you didn't, right? (laughs) We desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, right? We're going to be persecuted. Now, that doesn't mean that that co-worker... Who, who cusses in front of you is persecuting you or that neighbor who won't talk to you is persecuting. What it means is that the world system is against what Jesus stands for. 
And you and I will run into stuff which is contrary to God every step of the way as we walk with Jesus. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, I love it when the Bible says but, don't you? Because, I mean, you know, when we read that, we're like, yeah, that's pretty much how it is today, Paul. <laughs> you know, all the bad stuff seems to flourish, and we seem to have a tough time of it. He says, but, as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's a who and a what that will protect us from the world. The who is the ones around us who help us to learn and the Holy Spirit who applies this word to our lives. And the what is what's in this book. Now when Paul wrote that, there wasn't a New Testament yet. So did you know the Old Testament, this might be news to some of you, the Old Testament is really valuable for helping you to grow in faith in Christ Jesus. So if you have come to the conclusion that it's all begats and begots and thou shalt nots, and therefore I'm just going to start at Matthew and work forwards, <laughs> you're missing out. Because there's this whole story in what we now call the Old Testament that's really, really valuable for us to become wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For example, Psalm 119, all about the scriptures. <laughs> Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. So you want to overcome the evil in the world? Well, immerse yourself in God's truth. And you will find yourself seeing through what the TV tells you or seeing through what the podcast says or seeing through that specific deal that some person's trying to convince you about that in the end turns out to be ungodly because the whole picture is the foundation that we build on. The whole picture of what Jesus has said about himself. Or Psalm 119, verse 105. This is the first verse of the Bible I ever learned. It took me another five or six years before I ever met Jesus. But I took a class in high school called Divinity with Mrs. Orme, who was a vicar's wife. Delightful lady. A stalwart of faith and with great strength because she had 30... 12-year-olds who didn't want to listen and certainly didn't want to learn the Bible. But she persevered. And I still remember learning, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now the lamp didn't turn on, as I said, for several years, but I'm so glad it did. And I'm grateful for Mrs. Orme. She's probably in heaven by now. She seemed ancient even then. I'm sure she wasn't, but she seemed ancient. <laughs> Everyone does when you're 12, isn't it? But I am thankful for those who shine that light. 
This is a powerful book. It will illuminate our path if we let it. So, we can become wise for salvation through the Old Testament. Let's go on reading in 2 Timothy 3. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, given today's society, I need to tell you that the word man of God there is not the male of God, it's the human of God. It's the generic word for mankind, humanity, not men. So ladies, you're men of God. Probably better than the men, actually, because you tend to immerse yourselves in the scriptures more than us guys do. That's a huge generality, so if it doesn't apply to you, let it wash off. But if Scripture is what God has inspired for us to be instructed, it says to be, um, or did I just quote from from, uh, Timothy there? Profitable for teaching. In other words, this is our instruction book. Profitable for reproof. Do you know what reproof is? It's like, hey, watch out for the white line. It's like the, the, the lane detect on the newer cars where it goes beep when you get too close. That's reproof. It's that little nudge to make sure you pay attention. And then there's um, correction. Well, that's what happens after you ignore the beep and you get in the wrong lane and somebody goes, (laughs) to get you back on track. And for training in righteousness. In other words, that's God's breathing into you and into me to fully equip us to live godly lives. God breathes into us to do that. He makes our foundation strong through the Word and through His inspiration of the Word. So it would be wise for us all to make it central to our lives, wouldn't it? Ask yourself, is Scripture central to me? I'm not going to ask you to answer that out loud, but I know my answer would be, no, it could be more central. I want the Word of God to be more central in my life. I'm hungry for more of what He has provided for me. So I've got three things I'm going to recommend real quickly, uh, and, and that'll close us out. The first is that we read all of it already alluded to that, but this whole library of books is what God has breathed on for our benefit. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that sounds mighty strong, doesn't it? What he's saying is that everything that's written in here has the power to align us with God beyond human wisdom. 
You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had it all figured out. They could tell you, you must do this and you mustn't do that. And they were not in any way open to being shown something new or something fresh because they were focused on the detail and not the big picture. They kind of got lost in the woods because they were so focused on the trees. And what Jesus is saying is, Every tree in the forest is important, but what I want you to do is to see the whole forest. <laughs> because I've come to fulfill the law, he said. Not to abolish it. He hasn't come to cut down the forest like they do around here. We're in Carolina, aren't we? It's not a forest anymore because they cut it down. Well, Jesus didn't come to cut down the forest. He came to give us the big picture of the whole forest to understand the whole of the revelation of God that comes not from getting caught into detail, but seeing the big picture. So all of it. How do I apply that to my own life? Well, I want to beware of just assembling proof texts, verses from here and there to, that support my own viewpoint. I want to be careful to read whole chapters and whole books and even the whole Bible, so I get the picture of God's whole plan. I don't know how many of you use the reading plans that we put out. We have a whole through the... <laughs> Teacher's pet over here puts her hand up. <laughs> we have a read through the Bible in the whole year reading plan that we've been using for two or three years now. And then this year we've added in a through the New Testament in a year, which goes a little deeper in the New Testament. Um, and both of those are available to all of us so that we get the whole spread of what God is doing, the whole spread of the whole picture. In fact, the, um, the, 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 the plan that we used as the foundation for the one-year Bible reading plan is called the, the One Story. This is one story in dozens of books. <laughs> it's a library all about one story. So I'd encourage you to, to uh, join up with the reading plans if you're not already doing so. In the th through the Bible in a year, we're into the New Testament now. Um, and uh, just. <laughs> and so that will take you through the rest of the New Testament before the end of the year. In the New Testament in a year, uh, we're already into Paul's letters and getting to the end of the book of Acts, but it's not too late to join in with that as well. With all of that, it gives us the big picture because there's a huge difference. I don't know if you've found this. I know I've found this. There's a huge difference in my life between somebody who's quoting a proof text at me to, to prove a point versus somebody who's sharing a verse with me out of the whole picture that they've lived in and that they're embracing. There's a huge difference in the power of that. And when I find something in Scripture that challenges me or something in Scripture that I don't agree with, I've learned to assume that I'm wrong. If this says something that I don't like, guess who's got to change? Me. Yeah? Some people love to pick holes in what we now call the canon of Scripture, the, which books are included and which ones are left out. And they like to make arguments about that. Uh, if you have questions in that area, I would recommend a book to you. 
I couldn't find it on my shelf this morning, uh, but it's uh, Tom Wright's book, Scripture and the Authority of God. Talks about how trustworthy and the, 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 the way that this all came to be. I mean, there's lies out there on the internet right now. You know, this was just invented by some church council in the something century, uh, and we shouldn't trust it. No, <laughs> that's not true. I don't have time to go into that, but I recommend Tom Wright's book to you, uh, N.T. Wright, Scripture and the Authority of God. So the first principle, if I want to be on a strong foundation, is all of this. I want to feed from all of this. I want to be sure I can understand and embrace all of this. I want to take the time to read this so that it can have its effect in my life, to see the huge big picture of what God has done for humanity through his word. The second point is that when I open this book, I need to put my glasses on. Yeah, okay, I've got my glasses on, but my glasses need to be the lens of Jesus. To put that in technical terms, Jesus is my hermeneutic. That just means the way I read this, the way I understand this. I need to read it through the lens of Jesus. If I read this book in a way that doesn't feel like, smell like, look like, sound like Jesus, I'm getting something wrong. You've all met Christians who can take verses, particularly from the Old Testament, and say, thou shalt not and thou shalt, and it doesn't sound at all like Jesus. But you can also read in the New Testament how Jesus takes the Old Testament and makes it sound like life and peace and health and freedom. Many times Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say. (laughs) He's not throwing away the old. He's helping us to see the old through the lens of God's saving grace. On the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, remember? This stranger comes alongside the two disciples who are glumly walking back to Emmaus from Jerusalem after all the terrible things that have happened. (laughs) And he walks beside them and they tell him their sad story. And he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's Luke 24, verses 25 and 27. So we already talked about this word and the word. (laughs) They're synonymous. All of this points to him. And if Jesus isn't your hermeneutic, if Jesus isn't the lens that I'm reading through, then what I'm ultimately doing is embracing deception. And so I've had to learn to renounce theological systems and and viewpoints that are not consistent with Jesus. If I was to sum up what Jesus looks like, it would be Seek out sinners, forgive sins, and offer relationship with God as a gift. Right? Seek out sinners, forgive sins, and offer relationship with God as a gift. Well, if that's what Jesus is like, 
I have to read the whole of Scripture through that lens. And you can, once you get the big picture. But we have to understand it through Jesus. Recommend a book for this idea, uh, Brad Jersak's book, uh, A More Christ-like Word, is a very good one to help us to see Scripture through the lens of Jesus. And as you see, I could find that one on my shelf, so I grabbed it and brought it with me. And then the third thing for us to embrace Scripture in our lives is not just to read all of it, not just to read it through the lens of Jesus, but that there has to be collective application of the Word. It has to be corporate this was not given so that you could be more holy than the rest of us. This was given so that we together can learn and be built together on that foundation of the word. So there has to be collective application and collective interpretation of the word. In other words, we can learn through one another and through those that maybe we didn't agree with when we started out. You actually can learn from those you don't agree with, even if they won't change their minds and agree with you. <laughs> Paul says to the Ephesians, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, there's progressive revelation built into Scripture. We learn from one another. What Noah understood grew through what Abraham understood. What Abraham understood, the revelation that he had, grew through the patriarchs. And then it grows again through Moses, through the Exodus. It grows again through Joshua coming into the promised land. It grows again through the prophets. Every time God is expanding the picture. Those of us who understand computer games, there's a good illustration of this. My kids used to love playing Age of Empires. Some of you look very blank. You need to find a grandchild or a small person who can tell you about Age of Empires. But Basically, Age of Empires, there's this huge map, but you can't see most of it until you start to, to ride around on your little horse or whatever it is that you, your character has. And, and as you go, the light comes on and the thing expands. Well, there's this expansion that goes on throughout from the beginning of Genesis right the way through to, well, first of all, to the end of Malachi. <laughs> An expansion of the revelation of God's heart as we add more. And then you turn the page over to the Gospels and suddenly the light comes on in fullness. Because now the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. 
There's a progressive revelation built in to Scripture. And God wants us all to grow in that revelation. He wants us to help one another grow in that revelation. John's prologue of John's Gospel, I read the beginning of earlier on, but in verse 17, John 1, 17, he says, The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Increasing revelation. We grow from the whole of the structure that God is building through his word. I want to encourage you to get input from others. So glad Brother Fount is with us this morning because I love his little meditations that come through each day. Very powerful. And then Linda sends out to the ladies these amazing texts <laughs> and I know Carol, you re repost them on Facebook, and Jane, I know, sends them on to dozens of other ladies. And, and Ira, okay, so it's not just for ladies. Ira gets them too. Ira gets them too. But we learn from one another, don't we? The revelation you have adds to the revelation I have, and we kind of pull it all together. The Bereans in the book of Acts were commended for approaching this new teaching that Paul brought to them and seeing how can I reconcile it with the rest of what I already know. Whereas the Thessalonians were all about folding their arms and furrowing their brows and spitting in your face because they already knew they were right. Yeah, don't recommend that one. We want to be Bereans, don't we? We want to be able to pull it all together and let it grow. But we have to keep to the truths that are in here. And we help one another to do that. There are many times Paul writes to his kind of spiritual sons, to Timothy and to Titus. Many times he writes to them about people uh, who've, who've shipwrecked their faith. 1 Timothy 1 verse 19. Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander wandered off from the truth that God had revealed. And in 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 3, Paul tells Timothy, Remain at Ephesus so you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. It's almost like Paul saw American church culture in 2022. There are so many people making confident assertions and, and wanting to be recognized as teachers by taking bits and pieces of this and making it their kind of trumpet call. That's why it's so important that we look at all of it through the lens of Jesus and submit to one another as we apply it to our lives. Because Paul tells Titus in Titus 3, a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, 
knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. When I read this book through the lens of me, I'll go wrong. If I read it through the lens of us, I stand more chance of getting it right. But more specifically, when I read it through the lens of Jesus, we all together will grow into the building God intends us to be. But that growing only happens if we read it. <laughs> and so Paul says to Timothy, this is my final verse, why don't you let me recommend another book? Because sometimes people think that you have to go outside of Scripture because Scripture doesn't engage with contemporary issues. <laughs> Back to Tom Wright again. Surprised by Scripture. would be a really good book to read if you feel like you need to get a handle on how does Scripture apply to contemporary issues. He doesn't cover all of them, but the principles he outlines help us to apply Scripture honestly and fully to contemporary issues. So uh, su surprised by Scripture would be a good one there. Because Paul tells Timothy, and I believe this is what God would want us to take away from this morning as well. What you've heard from me, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful others, faithful men in our translation, but that's the humans again, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. That's what I hope you get from gathering together, that you gain further insight into God's heart through the scripture to take away and offer to others. That we would all of us be like Robert here, who's always got a, a truth from God that builds up and encourages and helps us forward out of his extensive knowledge of scripture. Or like Fountain Linda here, who by their daily offering what God has shown me, build into us more of the likeness of Jesus. And I have seen, I think, practically everyone in this room. I mean, I don't follow all of you around, but <laughs> I, I've seen all of you being able to offer something out of your knowledge of him and his word to other people for their edification, for their encouragement, for their strengthening. And that's exactly what Paul commands us to do. So I think there are two things for you and I to say yes to, and I, I offer it to you because it's what I'm saying to myself. Two ways for us to say yes as we wrap it up this morning. I want to return to Scripture in a deeper way. And I want to invest truth in others. I want to return to Scripture in a deeper way. More consistent, more extensive, more life-changing, more of Holy Spirit, whatever. I want this book, or these books, to impact my life more. And I'm going to give the time to do that. But I also want to be able and anointed and called and chosen to invest truth in others. It's what I seek to do whenever I stand in front of you all like this. But it's also what I seek to do in my interactions with individuals. And I know that it's God's calling for you as well. You carry 
a revelation of God that other people need. And as you invest that truth in other people, just like Paul told Timothy to do, then it multiplies and it grows. So can we pray together? And if you're willing, I want to invite you just in the quietness to say yes to God. Father, I'm saying yes to you. I want your word to live in me. I want this powerful book, not by human wisdom, but by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, to bring transformation to my life. I want to eat it like the prophets did and be able to speak it and impart it to others. So I'm saying yes, not just to you growing scripture in me, but to you linking me with others in the building you're building on the strong foundation of Jesus. He's our cornerstone and we are living stones. Let your word live in me so that I would be cemented into what you're doing. Let me impart truth to others. Would you anoint every one of us with the wisdom of Scripture so that when we interact, it's Holy Spirit we're sharing. It's the rhema and the logos of God, the living word that brings life to everyone. And as you've been saying yes to God, God says yes to you. So let your heart receive his yes right now. He says yes, let's do this together. Thank you, Father, for your word, our Lord Jesus. The word made flesh to save the whole world by the revelation of your love and the making tangible of your presence. Now we, as little Christs, offer you our lives to bring your word everywhere we go. Thank you for your presence. Amen. You are going to have an exciting week. Because that word lives in you. So come back next week and tell us all about it. <laughs>